Hey y'all, welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. And it's been an awesome start to my week. My first live session for the Build Better Relationships course was just held this past Sunday. Um, a handful of people came and showed up for the live session and uh, it's been a great turnout so far for the first course. I'm really happy with how it's turned out. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of feedback and improve it even more. Uh, if you missed this one, stay tuned. It will be launched again probably in three months. Um, I'm going to put together some other courses too for some topics that I'm working on, but primarily um, really focused around honing this course in and making it as incredible as possible over time. I know I'm going to get a ton of feedback from this first session. And if you're attending the first session, thank you all so much for just showing love and support and coming engaged and open-minded. And I've had so many great human beings show up for the live sessions and ask brilliant questions, share uh, incredible things. And um, it's been really inspiring. So I'm really excited and happy, happy about the turnout. Uh, also, um, I still coach people in one-on-one -on -one settings. If you're all are interested, I work with individuals and couples of all ages. You can go to my website at www.nicobarraza.com to inquire more. I would love the opportunity to work with you should you feel like I'm a good fit. Uh, feel free to send me an email with any questions you might have. Uh, again, www.nicobarraza.com. The link to that is always in the show notes if you want to inquire about individual or couples coaching. This week's guest is Dr. Tara. Dr. Tara and I have uh, just recently been introduced via Instagram, via some some mutual um, creators. Uh, she has her PhD in human communication and is focused really on sex. Sex, excuse me. <laughs> she's focused really on sex and intimate relationships. And I really appreciate her outlook on things. She's super open, uh, very fluid, and just really personal and easy to, and easy to talk to. Um, and we get into a whole host of things from sexual intimacy in couples, through uh, pornography use to uh, just dating in modern culture. Um, and there's just so many things we cover. I really appreciate like her conversation. Honestly, um, she's a brilliant woman, uh, so easy to talk to. And um, it's hard for me to describe really what this episode focuses on other than sex, sexuality, and sexual intimacy, because we go in through a whole host of topics. And as you all know, of course, as um, Dr. Tara kind of like, you know, peaks more questions than me. I'm just, I ask things. I'm just like, well, this, what about this? What about that? And she uh, humbly and grac graciously answers so much for us. I'm going to have her back on the show for sure because it was absolutely beautiful to talk to her. Um, you can check her out at lovebites.co.co, L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S.co. Uh, she's also at lovebites.co on Instagram and on TikTok. And I'll throw a link to all her social media in the show notes if you want to check her out. Out, give her a follow. She also has her own podcast that focuses on sex, sexual intimacy, sexual health, relationships. Um, so be sure to check that out. Uh, she's a brilliant woman doing some incredible work and I hope to partner with her in the future and, and work on some things together because I'm really inspired by not only the work she's doing and the research she's involved in, but how she works with people and just her humility and openness to communicate. Um, it's, you know, it's not common for someone that's so educated, you know, to be so easy to talk to. I just have to say, say that a lot of people, um, you know, they get very elitist the more time they spend in academia. And I, I think it's really incredible for the people that do have PhDs to be able to still, you know, uh, communicate with everyone and communicate on a level that everyone can understand and connect with each other. Cause ultimately you're still a human being, right? Um, if we consistently talk down to people, probably not the best way to teach and engage and educate and to learn ourselves. So I got to say, I really appreciate her humility and she's just so thoughtful, so easy to talk to you again. Um, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. And as always, please leave the show a five-star written review on Apple and a five-star rating on Spotify podcasts. It 
takes two seconds to do that. It helps me out a ton. Um, honestly, if you could, if you haven't done it yet, please just pause the show right now. Go write a review or write yourself a mental note. So if you're driving in the car, as soon as you get to work, just write a review. Take 60 seconds. It helps me out a ton, helps the show get up in the ratings and helps the show ultimately reach more ears so we can help more people and and just engage a broader audience. And that's sort of the goal is to reach more folks and to have this all these conversations be shared because I think they're really valuable for anyone out there. So without further ado, Dr. Tara. Dr. Tara, thank you so much for joining me on Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Um, I came across your work via Instagram and was super inspired uh, about all the information you're putting out there and just the work you've done. You've done as an individual, obviously, and, and I'm sure all the clients that you work with. Um, so first off, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm ready to feed the soul Let, together. Let's do it. I, you know, we spoke a little bit off air about this, but I think, you know, one of, I mean, there's so many interesting things about you and your work, but one of the really intriguing parts, um, you know, to me is that you are a minority woman who, who is a, a sex therapist of sorts. And I don't mean, I don't meet a lot of uh, minorities that, that work in sort of the sexual health realm as far as like being a sex therapist, because traditionally, as we, as we talked about off air, you know, it seems like there's even more sexual repression, you know, if we talk about Asian community, you know, Hispanic community. Um, and I would love to even like start with, with the idea of sexual shame and, and why is a culture, you know, and we could talk about the differences between Western and Eastern culture as well too. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of sexual shame in humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. And it causes a lot of relational issues. It can cause divorces to happen. It can cause, you know, a host of communication issues. It can cause infidelity, right. All these different things. Mm -hmm. And like with, you know, you work with so many people, do you think that shame is a, is a societal thing at large or is it, is it really specific to cultures? Like, you know, do different cultures and ethnicities experience different shame based on like their religion, based on like, you know, family pressure dynamics, stuff like that. Because in my mind, I'd say like, well, obviously I don't know the answer to these questions, but in my mind, I feel like that has to play a role in it, right? And and it's not the same with all with all races and genders. But I'm sure you have obviously more experience than me. And so let's start there. Let's start talking about shame, and you know why do we live in such a sex like shameful sex based society, and how do you see that changing? Wow, what a heavy topic to start with. But Just swinging. <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> so first off, I want to position myself of where I'm coming from, uh, where I'm coming from. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm Asian in my 30s. Uh, I, I'm from Thailand, mm. so I'm not from the United States. Mm. I moved here for graduate studies and then stay for my job. So uh, I'm a sex and relationship professor. So I teach in uh, college. And so my knowledge is mainly from uh, research and theories mm. and preparing for uh, my lectures mm -hmm. in my sex and relationship classes. So that's kind of where I'm coming from because, you know, you can talk to, let's say, a therapist who has been a therapist for 20 years and they may have a different answer from me and where I'm coming from, mm -hmm. right? Who I am and my professional training. So as a professor uh, in this realm, I talk a lot about shame and where it comes from. So there's two 
running explanations to why there is so much shame attached to sexuality and uh, sexual activity and behaviors in general. The first running explanation is, uh, and I'm just going to go straight uh, to it with no filters, Christianity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of the teachings uh, that's attached to it. A virgin Mary, right? Mm. A virgin. Even we use it in 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 sexual terms, like losing your virginity. Right. Like you know, what does it mean for a young girl to lose her virginity? And now she's what? Afterwards, is she dirty, unworthy, mm. not a girlfriend material? Like, what does it mean? Why do we say losing a virginity? And why do we say, oh, she's a virgin? As in, like, oh wow, she's so pure. She's worthy. She's right. made good decisions. She's a good woman, right? So uh, a lot of the teachers teachings um if you read any historical of sexuality like books it will show that a lot of the teachings in christianity have taught young people to feel shame if they have sexual feelings Mm -hmm. when they're younger and they're unmarried Mm -hmm. and that sex is only reserved to heterosexual couples who have gotten married Mm -hmm. Sex isn't anything else Mm -hmm. and cannot be done anywhere else except for heterosexual uh, relationship who have been married. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where all of the other sexual activities can feel shameful. Mm -hmm. When you say the only way to go is you get married, then you can have sex. Yeah. Right? Don't you think if you're said if you're told this is the only way you can have sex, that it's um worthy and pure and mm-hmm. based on love and everything else is not mm. how do you feel about that Ooh, wow i love that i love that you're asking a question back it's funny because i was i was raised catholic you know um very much hispanic uh roman catholic family um you know my family was was very progressive catholic i will say in quotations mm-hmm. because as i was younger i was always a kid asking questions and i went to catholic school until i was in sixth grade and then i got kicked out and they threw me in public school um but my my mom and my grandparents was raised by a single mom they were very open about um my uh, connection with the religion you know they're like you, you know you they wanted me to go to church and mass with them, but they were very much like, if it's not for you at some point, you know, we're fine with it. So I was lucky in that sense. I know a lot of people feel more pressure. That being said, sexuality, never something talked about, right? It just, and it's not that like they, they, um, meant to not talk about it. It's just like they weren't raised speaking about it, right? You know, so so I very much learned that through my first experiences with porn when I was like in seventh grade, you know, which was probably a horrible a horrible way to look at intimacy and, right. and, and sex, right? Because it's a very performance based. It's very you know, it's just not real, right? It's like uh, you know, I I worked in the film industry uh, shooting films and a lot of athletics and, and when you think about how people act on camera, it's like this isn't how people have sex normally. You know, it might be a piece of it, but it's not always like that. Um so so that was like my first experience, honestly, with sex. And, and I think that, you know, you know, obviously, you know, when you realize you're start, you're attracted to whatever sex you're attracted to, you, know, you start having these questions build up. Right. And so a lot of the questions that I asked were like, you know, what do you do when you like a girl, you know, when I'm like, you know, 10 or 11. Right. But as far as like sexuality and sex, like I very much have grown, you know, as an adult man into being comfortable talking about sex and being comfortable, you know, with my own sexuality and my own like, you know, freakiness or kinkiness, right? 
And, and I think that, um, you know, men and women alike, like there's, there's so much repression and, and I'm curious cause you brought up Christianity, which I completely agree with. Um, it's like this puritanical, you know, sort of ideology, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think that also exists within the other like major religions? Like I'm sure it exists within Islam, yes. right? But from, from an Eastern culture perspective, like, like Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, like Taoism, like these different, like, is it also in those areas of, of belief too, or is it primarily in like, you know, Christianity, Islam? Wow, that's a great question. And uh, I want to say, I didn't say Christianity to demonize it. Mm. I do feel like there are a lot of great things that come out of sure. Christianity and going to church and mm. praying, like sure. community. I think all of that is beautiful. Uh, I'm not a Christian, but I go to church with my friends sometimes because mm. I love the music mm-hmm. and the food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like the people are really nice, right? There, yep. are, uh, there are Christians that say God loves pleasure. Yep. And I love that. I'm like, thank, like, thank God yeah. <laughs> for these people who are saying no. Like, Christianity isn't about that, at least in my uh, own interpretation, right. right? My friend says, no, God is pro-pleasure. God is not about, you know, shaming you mm-hmm. about your urges and the feelings. It's not about that at all. So I'm just saying, historically speaking, when that started to become a trend in the United States, that makes sense. Um, then it becomes a huge thing uh, of like, oh, like don't have sex before you get married. So right. that's why I said Christianity. But in terms of other religion, uh, it's either talked about in a negative way or not talked about at all, which mm-hmm. is not helping. Yep. Uh, no religion talks about sex in a healthy way, let's say. Totally. At least uh, traditionally speaking, like the books that they publish and whatever they're preaching, uh, none of the like quote unquote r- traditional religions out there speak about sex in a positive way. I completely agree. I mean, even when I think about my own sort of sex ed, as minimal as it was, it was like a class, you know, uh, like 30 minutes a year when I was in high school or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, it was very much on like the the fear tactics of like, don't get an STD, use protection, you know, which which is uh, fine because, you know, it's an educa- education at some level, but it's really like fear-based, right? It's like, don't, don't do this. Um, there wasn't a lot of talk about consent. There wasn't a lot of talk about um, like foreplay or pleasure or anything like that. Like actual, like sex ed isn't just like, don't get an STD. It's education around the entire experience on mm-hmm. like the intimacy, on how you feel emotionally. Do you feel safe? Do you feel seen? All these other things, right? Never heard those words until I started talking to therapists in my mid twenties, you know, and they were using this mm-hmm. vocabulary of like safe space of like, you know, sexual intimacy is crucial for the longevity of a long-term partnership, right? One of the things I see now, and I work with a lot of clients that, that struggle with this is that, you know, when there's a fissure in their relationship, something's not happening sexually, um, immediately they sort of go to porn, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and this is usually from the man's perspective. And, and I'm curious to ask you about this because we live in a, a technological age right now where we have mm-hmm. Instagram and TikTok and the internet at our, at our fingertips every millisecond. And I do see that like, as our culture is evolving, we are becoming, you know, more sexually open, I'd say. But mm-hmm. I'm almost curious if like the pendulum might swing too far, if you even think that's possible, you know, meaning that like, are are there unhealthy and healthy relationships with pornography, for instance, you know, because I know a lot of men, uh, you know, that I work with, including myself at a young age, had struggled with like, you know, using porn too much, you know, like using it as a numbing agent, right? Just like you would 
do a drug mm-hmm. or something like that. But then I talked to some sex therapists and they're like, porn addiction isn't real. So since you, mm-hmm. you know, you are a legitimate a professor and I'm sure you've, you've read about this, like what's your take on the influence of pornography in, in, in not only like addiction, but just in like the ability to maintain actual intimacy in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was going to be my second reason to why people feel so shameful when it comes to sex is because they get a lot of sexual information from porn. Right. And whenever they can't perform or they don't look like the porn stars or they don't, what things don't go uh, the same way as in porn videos, they start feeling like unconfident yeah. when it comes to sex, right? And therefore the shame comes. So mm. when it comes to porn addiction, I typically follow the school of thought that says too much porn is bad, yeah. right? There are uh, coaches and therapists that say like, no, like it's okay, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think there's enough uh, legitimate evidence to say that too much porn consumption is bad for you. And here's how. Uh, It desensitizes you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Visual stimulation and also like audio, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Visual and audio stimulation, they're a huge part of a sexual experience face-to-face, right? When you're having sex with someone, it's not the only, it's not just the act. It's also what you're looking at Mm -hmm. and what you're hearing right? Mm -hmm. The moaning, the dirty talk, what you're hearing and what you're seeing, all of that contributes to a great sexual experience. So if your brain is trained to think that porn is the ultimate uh, sexual experience, and when you have sex in real life, it looks and feels and sounds nothing like that, Mm How are you going to evaluate that sexual experience? Right. Probably low. Yep. Right? And one out one to five, probably three to one. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be five. That's for sure. It looks and sounds nothing like porn. Yep. So uh, there is a TED Talk called The Great Porn Experiment by Gary Wilson and sadly he passed away, but uh, he did a big experiment on young men and porn and their brain activity. And there is such thing as porn addiction. Mm-hmm. There's literally uh, evidence to show that. Um, And let's say, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what's addiction? Like, what if I watch it once a day? I think the definition of addiction can be subjective depending on how much it impedes you from living your normal life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once a day, like, do you watch it for 30 seconds? Do you watch it for two hours? Do you watch it at work? Like, you know, it depends. Like, it depends. It's individualized. But if you need porn, Let's say this. This is the bare minimum. If you need porn to get off every single time, that's not a good sign. Okay. Yeah. If you uh, masturbate and you have to watch porn every single time, you cannot use your imagination. I think it's a bad sign. Yeah. I'd agree with you. You know, there, and I agree that like, I, I think there's statistical evidence to, to say that, you know, porn addiction is a real thing. You know, it's interesting because mm-hmm. there's some pe- some therapists that, you know, are in research too that would disagree with that. But I'd have to say like the evidence is pretty clear because I have watched that TED talk and I've read some studies and, you know, yeah. addiction is subjective. You're completely right. Like for instance, if we even just look, at, I'm going on a little tangent here, but if we look at marijuana use, right? There's some people mm-hmm. that can like smoke a little bit and it doesn't really affect them. They're not addicted to the state of being, you know, 
put some asleep. Yeah, it's like microdosing. Microdosing, exactly. Yeah. Versus like someone that has to smoke every day to feel normal because when they're not high, they don't feel normal, right? And right. so like if you're using porn and you feel like, you know, an urge, or you, it's an uncontrollable urge where you have to, you know, or even if you're having sex with your partner and you have to consistently think of a porn scene to like actually get off and you're not present, right? To me, like that, that's that's the thing I work with clients on too. That, that's kind of a problem, right? Because like, it is. There, there's there's a, the wall between you and your partner. There's no intimacy there because you're thinking of like some other scene. You're not in the, and I'm not saying this to shame anyone at all, right? But I think that it's important we talk about this and have discussions so that way we can find ways to have a healthy relationship with that or, or maybe cut it off completely if it's not healthy because some people just, you know, don't have other relationships with it. You know, speaking for myself, like, I've had to like be like, no, I'm not, I'm not engaging in this because it doesn't help me build intimacy with uh, real, actual people, right? And um, you know, for for some men I work with, it's it's incredibly hard for them to like stop using, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. it's like they've developed this tendency since a younger, like adolescent age, of well, I'm emotionally dysregulated, you know, I don't feel seen, I got in a fight with my partner, or I feel lonely, or I feel depressed. Well, I'll just go use this. Right. I'll just go hide and use this, you know, and, um, you know, by and by m most men that I've worked with specifically, I haven't worked with women as much. I think there's a little bit different relationship there, but most men, um, will say that they feel shame. They'll feel, they feel ashamed after they use so much, right. Or after they, cause they don't, they, they feel like they're just like, um, it's like a drug almost, you know, is how they explain it. And, and it contributes to sexual anxiety. hundred percent. And ED. Exactly. hundred percent. And yeah. I think that, you know, I, one of the things is that, my main litmus test is like, is it improving the quality of your life and your actual relationships, right? If the answer- That's a great question to ask, yeah. <laughs> if the answer is no, probably not good for you, right? If the answer is yes, and you can watch them with your partner and, and get some ideas, fantastic, right? Right, yeah. And so I think that's, you know, that's usually where I lead. So, so from there, like, you know, do you think it, it's something where as a society, we have to learn how to self-regulate more? Is it something where the industry has to become more aware of its of its adverse effects on on humans? And, you know, now like young kids are getting exposed to it. Or like I was oh, yeah. 12 or 13 and now it's like nine-year-old, 10-year-old, mm -hmm. right? And and to me, that that's probably an issue. But, I, but I'm curious as a, as a professor in this area, like, do you think it's the industry that has to change? It's regulation of the internet or it's like self-awareness we have to build as a society on our relationship with like the product? You know, that's a really good question. So thanks for that. Uh, it makes me critically thinking about this issue. Yeah. So my first thought is uh, I really, I'm not the kind of person that waits around and, and you know, uh, speak about industry and and wait for them to change right because i mean look at even pharmaceuticals yeah. or like right like i feel like a big scale change like that is possible but you have to really be connected to the people that can change these things mm -hmm. so like for example the team like executive team at pornhub mm -hmm. Like, are they going to do something or like, you know, I feel like, yes, yes. If I'm, if I'm on the board <laughs> of trustee at Pornhub, I will say something, yeah, right? Like right. I will say, Hey, I think we have the responsibility to these young folks yeah. to, uh, help them develop a healthier sexual relationship. However, I just don't tend to think that way. I don't yeah. tend to think that that will change. And, and, you know, as much as, um, porn recreationally, like with your partner or alone from time to time is totally cool. Like yeah. I'm not shaming it at all. It's totally Cer fine. Certainly. I still watch it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, 
there are ethical porn out there. There's a whole genre, a whole like right. app, a whole website uh, that is marketed as ethical porn. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that goes into it, like the way they choose the the people, the way they portray pleasure, and like all of that. Like yeah. it, they're called ethical porn. Right. So I would say if you really want to watch porn, watch ethical porn. Yeah. Perhaps that's a, a little bit more realistic for you. Yeah. Um, but in terms of who should regulate this, uh, I think every like most things, I think it starts with the family. Yep. Okay. I think it starts with the parents having an honest and open conversation, a dialogue with their children mm-hmm. about sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, my current research study is on family sex communication, and I'm collecting data right now. It should come out sometimes at the end of the year. Uh, but what I want to know is how much does family sex communication influence young adults' ability to communicate about sex? So yeah. like their sexual communication discomfort. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. how, much the, how much does that contribute to their self-esteem when it comes to sex? I'm very curious about that because... My theory or my hypothesis would be that it heavily affects young adults and how they feel about sex. Mm. And therefore, going back to your question, who should be regulating this or who should be involved Mm. in in improving uh, the understanding of porn and sexual health and healthy relationships in general? I think it's a family. I think it's a parent. And for like our generation, 30-something, 40-something, if you plan to have children, if you have children right now, uh, for everyone that's listening, please talk to your children about sex Mm -hmm. like it's a normal thing yes if you talk about it like it's not a normal thing it will create shame for them yep i i love that so much um and it makes so much logical sense to me so for people that are are curious like let's say we haven't experienced you know for like the boomer generation talking to us or our parents generation you know probably didn't talk about sex much unless your parent was a sex therapist you know Um, right (laughs) and uh and i'm curious like how do you approach that you know as a parent or as a as a couple as a dynamic on talking to your kids about sex and what age might they start talking to you know kids like what what's appropriate in your mind Mm-hmm. So uh, I love that you said appropriate because appropriateness depends sure. on who is receiving it, right? Of course. Uh, like for me, appropriateness starts when they can speak English, yeah. like at three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's say I think people can be comfortable uh, t- having a dialogue about sex with their children at about nine to ten. Okay. And there is a reason why it it kind of um, re- is was reduced from like thirteen to now like nine or ten. It's mm-hmm. because of technology. Yeah. We have we like as parents. I'm not a parent yet, but I'm saying we like our generation as parents. We have to adapt to like technological advancement, mm-hmm. right? We can't be like, oh, talk about sex when they're sixteen. They already had sex. Yeah. They've right, they already, already have porn. sex, probably bad sex. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and are watching a ton of porn already, mm-hmm. and talk about sex with their friends. Yeah. So at sixteen, you're too late. Mm-hmm. You're way too late. Uh, now, okay, let's go back to the original number, which is twelve to thirteen, like middle school, right? Mm-hmm. It's also too late nowadays. Yeah. Uh, when you look at Pew Research Center uh, data on how many kids have smartphones, mm-hmm. parents give their kids freaking smartphone at like five. Yep. I'm so surprised. Uh, I feel like I would never give my kid a smartphone at five, but who knows? Uh, Anyways, 
Because children have access to technology earlier than before, we as parents have to be dynamic in how we educate our children and support our children.、Mm. So I would say nine is a good age、okay. in start talking about sex. And remember, when you talk about sex with your children, or maybe people listening talking about sex to like your younger siblings、mm-hmm. or niece and nephew,、uh, have a dialogue. Don't just go in and give a monologue about what sex is, what it should be, how babies are conceived. Like, who cares? What you should care about is what do they know now about sex.、Mm-hmm. Ask a question.、Uh, hey, Nico. Let's say Nico, you're my nine-year-old、uh, nephew. <laughs> Nico,、uh, do you know what sex is? Well, if I'm nine, I would be like. <laughs> Maybe you're nine year old, maybe not. But、yeah. nowadays, nine year old,、yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah,、totally. for sure.、Uh, it comes up in like television. It comes up in you know even like nowadays like cartoons and stuff.、Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Sexual parts like body parts,、right. for example, like boobs. Like you know boobs at nine, right? <laughs> so it's like talking about like what do you know about? So, so a dialogue method is、yep. asking questions from the youngsters、mm. about what they know and go from there. I love that approach、uh, because most of the time, when when we talk about sex ed with parents, we I've heard the term the talk. You know, when are you going to have the talk with like you know your your child? And it, and I love how you bring up. It's not really a talk; it's a dialogue. Like it's a conversation. You know, because they're going to have input, and you know you can certainly answer questions to you know your your comfort level, but but it really should be. You approaching it from a curious aspect rather than this like authoritarian figure of like this is what you need to do, this is what you shouldn't do, right? Because that's just like you said is going to create more shame. And, and usually, you know, where there's shame, there's going to be some sort of unhealthy relationship with with some you know something around that area, right? Very unhealthy. And if you go in and you do the talk,、mm-hmm. right, like where you just say straight five minutes of whatever sex is to you, and then you leave,、uh, that's going to leave. The children feeling like they cannot ever come to you when they have issues,、right. and do you want that?、Mm-hmm. Right.、Mm-hmm. I think that's very unhealthy. Like,、right. of course, as parents, you want your kids to all, can always come to you for issues,、mm. including sex stuff, which can be super traumatic for young people. Right. So, yeah, the dialogue method. Uh, by asking them questions,、mm. allow them to feel like, "Whoa! Like you want to hear from me? Yeah. You want to hear what I think about sex?"、Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's a good tone, setting a good tone. Now, so okay, so we talked about parenting. I'm really curious on like sexual intimacy in in you know relationships, right?、Um, one of the like most interesting things of like a modern relationship is that you know honestly, even though. Technology has evolved. Like we've evolved a bit as a species, or not, depending on who you ask.、Um, <laughs> you know, I think that like sexual repression is still very strong, right, for both sexes.、Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of couples don't understand this because you know they just kind of go through the motions with with basically whatever they've learned throughout all their sexual experiences, right?、Mm-hmm. And then let's say the honeymoon stage goes goes by from a relationship, one or two years. You know, you're. Fucking each other's brains out, right? And then、mm-hmm. you get into this monotonous like cadence, right? Where you're both going to work. Perhaps you have a kid. Perhaps you don't. You know, you're still,、uh, you don't have a kid. And and it's it's really hard to maintain、um, desire, right, and attraction if you don't work at it, right?、Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you work around this area. Like, what do you tell couples 
on like where do they start with how do they maintain sexual arousal and intimacy in a long-term partnership because it's it's difficult for for people to do that with with all these like with swipe culture right there's always another option right always other options out there yeah you hit the jackpot there man mm -hmm. uh statistically speaking and also based on my uh coaching experience is uh, this is the biggest issue in long-term relationships is this uh, lack of desire, lack of attraction. Uh, typically, it's, it manifests in a form of mismatched sexual desire. Mm -hmm. One person wants more sex than the other. Okay. Right? So this like lack of attraction, lack of uh, arousal, desire, all of that kind of becomes this issue of one person seems to always want more sex than the other and the other person's a gatekeeper and is uh you know feeling like used for like having to have sex with them all the time mm. and in a heterosexual relationship it's typically the man wants more sex the woman is the gatekeeper mm -hmm. right and this is such a common issue i have a lot of couples that uh come to me to want to work on this specific sexual goal sure so uh my my i would have to put a disclaimer my methods are new age okay. so my coaching methods are new age what that means is no, it's non-traditional mm. right uh if you prefer a more traditional like therapy method i highly like recommend you know i have a list of therapists i recommend sure uh, but if but if you want to do some you know crazy stuff to revitalize like passion and arousal and attraction for each other uh sexually um in a new age experimental way uh, try come over here with dr tara i'll coach you so what i typically do first is i uh ask them uh what what are their desire level like what 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 do they think is a good number of number of times to have sex per week per two mm. weeks per month right so like let's say let's do this for you nico like how many times per week do you want to have sex if i'm Once, in a relationship I, yeah oh man you're asking a scorpio here so uh <laughs> A lot. I mean, I, you know, I noticed at a very young age, I, my sex drive is like hyper, right? So uh -huh. uh, if I'm in a healthy functional relationship, honestly, probably multiple times a day, but like, that's just, you uh -huh. know, me, um, you know, and those are obviously the women I'm attracted to that have higher sex drives uh -huh. among other things, emotional intelligence, you know? Uh -huh. So for me, yeah, probably multiple times a day, but obviously, you know, life gets busy and stuff like that, but for sure at bare minimum, a couple times a week. Bare minimum. Okay. Like, okay, bare minimum. Let's say yeah. you want to have sex three times a week. Perfect. That's a fair number. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to have sex three times a week. Uh, and then I ask your partner, what about you? You know, what mm -hmm. is your ideal situation? And let's say here's a mismatch. Yep. She says once a month. Oh, boy. <laughs> right? <laughs> here's where I go, okay, we have to do something to uh, compromise mm. these really drastically different numbers yeah. so what i typically prescribe uh are non non-traditional new age things like uh being naked together cooking right because cooking long-term relationships people tend to cook yep. right so being naked and cooking together mm. and there if people are like oh we have children well maybe for one day like put a child in daycare or put a child with their aunt or grandma or someone mm -hmm. uh and then do this together yeah. try cooking naked together here's why um both of you have now come to this sexually dormant 
uh, uh, scenario because both of you are perhaps not putting in the effort to be creative mm -hmm. when it comes to revitalizing your sexual energy for each other. Yep. And every time you get naked is when you have penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. And it becomes so robotic, right? You start touching. Do you want to do it? Sure, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. Take clothes off, penetration. Usually the man comes, the woman doesn't. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about <laughs> and then that bam. too. Yeah. And, then, and then bam, that's it. Yeah. Like it's so robotic, yeah. right? How about we just get naked for no fucking reason? Yeah. Like cooking. Yeah. Let's get naked and cook. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I love prescribing. And many couples <clears throat> that I work with have come back and reported. It's so fun. We yeah. feel so dirty. Like we feel so naughty. Yeah. Uh, so cooking naked is one of them. Sexual meditation is one of my favorite things of all time. Okay. Sexual meditation is one of them. Uh, sex journaling is one of them. Going on uh, a date and ask sex questions is another one. So uh, mm. all of these are non-traditional, but uh, I think it's amazing. Uh, another one is kind of like uh, doing like a... Uh, skinny dipping together if mm. you're one of those couples yeah, that are yeah. more daring and you live near the ocean yep. or the lake. Mm -hmm. uh, so things like that can help you find your way back yep. to each other. I, there's so many amazing things that you just said. Uh, it brought an idea in my mind is that um, for men, for instance, there, there's this huge societal pressure probably based on porn and other things of this like sexual ego that peaks up mm -hmm. when it talks, when we talk about women coming, right? And it's like, well, if, if she doesn't come while I'm sort of penetrating or inside of her, then like, you know, I'm not worthy or something's wrong with me or, or something like that, right? Whereas like I've read many statistics where like 70 to 75% of women, which is a lot of them, don't come with penetration alone, right? You have to have like clitoral stimulation or other things going on, right? And and men like we don't like there's not this educational bank out there that, you know, is teaching you this. If you happen to be scrolling through Instagram and see someone like yourself or sex with Emily or someone that talks about it in this realm, right? And you know, it, it brings up the idea of like introducing toys and these other things. It's like a lot of men, even like when I was a little bit younger in, in college, like most of my 20 year old friends, they were not talking about using a vibrator or using a dildo or using so something like that. Right. And now it's like, guys, it's not just about, you know, obviously most men like want to please their partner, but I think how they choose to please their partner matters. And it, a lot of times, like if the woman isn't fully like comfortable sexually or in her own body, she won't even ask for like, hey, let's use this toy or something because I really want to, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, cut my brains out here, you know, and mm -hmm. I, and I would love like for you to touch on that because a lot of, a lot of men are like, and I'm generalizing with sexes here, but are averse to even like, oh, like I'm not going to order a sex toy. Like my partner needs to do that. You know, it's like mm -hmm. the, the, the goal should be you both have a great time and feel good in your bodies and you both have an orgasm, if not multiple. Right. And, and I think how do we start to change the narrative for men and women on like, yo, order some things. Like you, you don't have to just, it doesn't just have to be you, right? It doesn't have to be you. You can have a lot of other things going on and have a great fucking time. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank God you're talking about this mm -hmm. because it's uh, such an important topic, mm -hmm. but it seems so trivial that uh, people rarely talk about it right. and they don't bring it up when like I'm a guest on their podcast, for example, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that you're covering this topic. And yes, I can touch on this topic. I'll touch the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yes, you're you're very what you share is very insightful that a, a lot of men, typically younger men, but there's also older men with mad ego issues mm-hmm. that think introducing a toy to a sexual encounter means I'm not enough as a man. Because yeah. yep. I'm a man and my dick <laughs> should be enough, right? Well, yes. newsflash. <laughs> uh, a vibrator does wonders. Yep. It really does. Mm-hmm. And if your goal is to pleasure her and not your ego, yes. right? Get rid of the ego part. Starve it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Amen. And if you want to feed the soul, yours and hers, mm-hmm. uh, focus on her pleasure. What is pleasurable to her? Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what, <laughs> in a female body, what feels fucking amazing is, number one, I have to be really warmed up. Mm-hmm. What that means is foreplay needs to be longer. The movies are fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. The movies that show you like meeting a girl at a bar and then you're like kissing and then you just immediately pull up her skirt and then just penetrate. Her pussy is dry. (laughs) I hope this episode is explicit. Oh, trust me. This is all fair game here. Be you, please. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Her pussy is dry at this point. These movies are lying. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's maybe potentially, if it's like at the beginning of dating, like the first month, maybe you're at a bar and you're so attracted to each other and you're drinking a little bit, right? So you have like social lubricant going. Maybe you get wet uh, in a quick, like very fast way. Mm -hmm. But if you've been in a relationship and you know, you know the person, there's huge like relational closeness and emotional intimacy. Uh, It's, you can't just get wet in like two minutes. Yep. You just literally cannot. Yep. So what do you do? Like, number one, I would say, please, you know, make sure she's warmed up. What does that mean? Like longer foreplay, more kissing. Kiss her erogenous zones. Yep. Ask her what feels good. Mm-hmm. Kiss uh, kiss the ears, kiss the back of the neck. <clears throat> Try also inner arms. Try, uh, of course, the breast, the nipples, yeah. uh, the tummy, mm-hmm. the pelvic area, the bud, the inner thigh. So try kissing, licking, whatever, all these areas yeah. for a while and ask her what feels good. Mm-hmm. Does this feel good? Does this feel good? Okay, let's let's do this together. This process is called pleasure mapping. Mm. Pleasure map the mm-hmm. whole body. Do yeah. it together, right? So do that. And then do a lot more of whatever she says that feels good. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you will start feeling like she's getting more into it. Uh, maybe her busy mind is now disappearing and is she's being in more in the moment with you, mm-hmm. making more noises. Yep. Uh, the body s- feels warm. Um, and then the the pelvic area seems ready. You, you'll know, you'll know. <laughs> It's a human instinct. Yep. So kind of go down there and see if the whole like vulva is more engorged, mm-hmm. right? Because when, when, so the vulva and the, the whole area, the labia, the vagina, all that, it's kind of like the male organ in a mm-hmm. sense where a, a man gets an erection, but it's easier to see because you, your dick gets hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a woman, like the whole vulva engorges yep. um, and it's, it's subtle, yep. right? It's small, right. but you'll, you'll be able to see it if you're so in tune with her body. Right. So when that happens means she's warmed up, mm-hmm. uh, you would be a rock star introducing a vibrator into the repertoire along with penetration. Yep. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite things to do is having like penetrative sex and use a vibrator 100%. on my clitoris at the same time. Yep. 
that orgasm is intense mm-hmm. in the most amazing ways. So yeah, please don't feel like it's hurting your ego in any way. Mm-hmm. She'll love having sex with you for you for being so open yep. to use the toys to uh, stimulate her clitoris more and just you know accepting that like it's about her mm-hmm. and you'll love it because you'll love watching her being super. Uh, pleasured and you'll love watching her come and it's it's a great experience for both people i i 100 agree with that i i want to also bring up like for pretty much all women uh you know the this sort of um their ability to be open and let go directly influences their orgasm right and so mm-hmm. when you know uh for instance, like women that are more sexually experienced and, and have, you know, dealt with their shadow and whatever trauma they experience, right? Um, they will have bigger, greater, deeper orgasms just because like they're able to let go, right? Because, you know, for women, it's very, it's very much this mental, emotional connection, right? Um, and so for, for women that, you know, find themselves having like a mental block for some reason, whether it's past trauma or they just don't feel comfortable in their own body, you know, how is a, as a partner, how do you, work with them to get them to a level of being able to release because even if you do use a vibrator and have like a double stimulation thing going on if they're still not fully comfortable they're going to be limited by themselves right and so do you recommend they just work with someone like you or are there some techniques that they can use you know where where do you start because i i a lot of my clients will will come in especially the male clients will come in and be like you know it has really nothing to do with me because I've talked to my partner, but she just like doesn't feel comfortable in her own body or she she doesn't feel like, um, uh, you know, she's ever really orgasmed to her full capacity, for instance, because women know, right? They can tell, like they'll they'll be able to say. So how do you approach that? Because that has to do with like the female psyche versus like the male ego, you know, because if we just talked about the male size, how, how do we approach it from the female side? I love this question uh, and it's a very common occurrence. So you're like hitting all the (laughs) uh, jackpots of like people's normal issues right Mm -hmm. there. Um, And I always say, I said this in my TED talk too, uh, sex is 70% you, 30% your partner. So don't be saying like, oh my God, they're not a good partner, this and that. Like you contribute to this experience too, right? Uh, more than just the partner. Like if you have a physical and mental block, there is no way you can enjoy sex with the 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 most amazing sex god. Right. Right. It, you just can't because you don't have the capacity to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it's it's a it's something that an individual. It's a journey an individual has to go on to find their own sexual awakening. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of what can a partner do, right? (laughs) First off, be patient. Uh, It takes a while Mm -hmm. to unlock all of those things, especially for women that grew up surrounding the narrative, like sex is shameful, don't be sexual. Sexual women are dirty, they're sluts, they're bad women, right? So be patient. Um, I would say uh, there's two routes to go. The first route is helping her see a coach. Uh, it can be a sex coach like me, or it can be any other coaches that work with uh, women on sexual empowerment, sexual confidence, this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be the first route. Uh, the other route that works as well is uh, self-healing. 
So encourage her to uh, explore sex through sex journaling. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's research that found this method works, like journaling works in unlocking various traumas, including mm. like sexual discomfort. Yeah. So journal, sex journaling, and then sexual meditation. Sexual meditation. There's re experimental research out of a lab in Canada um, by Dr. Brado that shows that sexual meditation and other sexual mindfulness activities have. Increase sexual desires, increase sexual arousal, increase like better like sense of sexual self. Mm. So sexual meditation is really helpful. So maybe like introduce it in a way like, hey, let's do this together. Sure, it's just an activity, and then maybe she'll also as a byproduct learning to become more sexual. Mm -hmm. well, what is sexual meditation? I've never even heard that term before. Yeah, uh, it's one of my non-traditional new age methods. But uh, basically, um, do you meditate? I do. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as often as I can. I'm one of those people that will go on spurs for, for months and then, you know, I lose track of it. But I try. it every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, you know meditation already. So, usually people meditate for various reasons. And sometimes they meditate silently. Sometimes me they meditate uh, with a guided meditation track, mm -hmm. right? Like a recording, maybe a YouTube video or, yeah. or um, Spotify or whatnot. So, uh Typically, people meditate for a calmness, for focus, for positivity, right? So this is the same, but you're meditating for sexual energy. Mm. You're meditating for sex. So sexual meditation is a meditation that focuses on sex. Mm. And what that means is you can listen to guided meditation. Uh, and if you're interested, I have some guided meditation, sex, sex guided meditation on YouTube. Uh, if you just search Love Bites by Dr. Tara, you'll find like a bunch of videos, five minutes, 10 minutes, okay. right? Just try it out. Uh, so these are my guided meditations that specifically talk about different sex things. Mm. It can be sexual anxiety, uh, sexual confidence, um, bodily sensation, uh, Think, you know, pussy power, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, like penis power, all kinds of things. But basically it's meditation. So you're focusing on uh, your um, bodily sensations mm -hmm. and sexual energy. Okay, that's that's incredible. I, I never really thought that was a thing, but Please it makes it. It, it makes so I will, trust me. It makes so much it makes so much sense to me, you know, because it's really just energetics. You're putting your presence in something with intention. And that that alone is powerful, right? To be present. Because mm -hmm. meditation really like, you know, people think it's just about quieting the mind. It's really just about being with the mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Because you're never gonna just shut off your brain. I mean, I'm I'm a person that thinks, you know, so much. Like and and um Alende Bilton, one of my favorite philosophers, says this. He's like, There's no such thing as thinking too much there's only thinking poorly you know mm -hmm. and and really like what you're thinking matters and specifically when you're having sex with your partner too you know that's mm -hmm. that's huge because if you don't feel confident if you you know feel embarrassed or ashamed of your own body or you're not you know fully comfortable in your own sexuality or your own you know sex drive you're probably not going to enjoy it as much and they aren't either you know because you're not fully vulnerable it's really about vulnerability and it's hard for most adult human beings to be fully vulnerable because we've been told most of our lives to sort of you know to talk about those things hide those things and then what we fall in love we get in the bedroom and no one's taught us any of these things and we're expected to be professional already you know? <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like it's like putting up putting you know a 30 year old guy at a professional baseball pitcher and someone throws a 90 mile power fastball at him there's no way you're gonna hit that ball 
You know, there's just no way you, no you've way. had zero training in this. Right. And so it's up to us as individuals to, to work on that. Cause you, because like you said, it's, you're part of the dance. It's never just up to your partner. You know, you're, you're engaging in sex with them. And in order mm-hmm. uh, to be met, you kind of have to meet yourself beforehand mm-hmm. in that way. Oh, I, that's a, that's a great summary. Mm-hmm. I love it's well put. And, you know, it's also good to remind ourselves, like we have never had any training. Now we're in a relationship. We're expected to be good at something mm-hmm. like, uh, f- like, you know, first give yourself a break, give your partner a break yeah. and uh, shift your perspective. Like mm-hmm. you can learn and grow. So get curious. Get curious. Love it. So it brings me to this next segue, and this has to do a lot with religion, but monogamy, polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, right? Um, now, uh, I see more more on dating apps now where people will have like looking for a third in their marriage, or it'll be eth- eth- E&M kink friendly, or it'll be you know polyamorous. Uh, I myself am a monogamous human being. I, that's just my own personal thing, but, mm-hmm. but I... I don't believe that it's just the only thing for society, right? I think religion has put a lot of pressure on people. In your mind, like uh, polyamory, E&M, and monogamy, do you see the same issues of, you know, sexual oppression in all of them? Or is, you know, is it something where like we're just evolving back into a polyamorous, more poly-accepting poly culture? You know, because there's... For me, like when I work with clients that are, that are poly or ENM, they kind of either fall into two categories. One is that they already had healthy relationships before and they just expanded those. And now there's multiple partners. Usually those seem quite functional. The other end of the spectrum is, you know, these, most, some of these folks have had not very healthy relationships, whether it be, you know, sexual or emotionally unhealthy. And they just keep adding because they want to split themselves out little bits by little bits. So that way they don't have to be fully present with one. They kind of get a little bit of their cup filled by multiple people. Usually when I observe those from the outside, those tend to end at some point, you know, someone gets jealous or they fall in love with one person, they become monogamous again. Like how do, how does, this is a really broad question. And I'm sorry if it's a lot, but it's how do polyamory and E&M ethical non-monogamy affect sort of sexual health at large as they become more common and do you believe that you know monogamy is is still heavily sort of rooted and weighted in religiosity in like puritanical beliefs uh i love that you're asking this because i was just talking about this couple that i worked with last year uh to help opening up their relationship because they came to the solution that uh, they want to try it, mm-hmm. not necessarily a thing, a committed thing, but just to try it, sure. right? So now, like we we try that out, we you know laid out step by step what to do. I talk them through different boundaries and rules that they're comfortable with. We set up, we I we I help them set up a one month open relationship. Okay, and um. Now that's what they do. One month every year, they do an open relationship, and we call these monogamish. Mm-hmm. It is ethical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's non-monogamy, and it's based on their own terms. Mm-hmm. So, listen, people, when you're listening, uh, I want you to know that being uh, in a poly or being open or this or that. It's not like a thing where you have to do for the rest of your life. Right. There are many creative ways to embed the the perks 
into a relationship that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And one of the creative ways is this is what they do now is what after one month. And you know, like this couple, the at first the girl, she was very anxious. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh man, like who is he having sex with now? Like, mm-hmm. you know, now and I'm not sure. But then you know what? After she went on a dating app and she went on a date and she went on a few dates and then she had sex with one person, she's like, oh my God, I feel so sexy. I feel so wanted, so attractive. Like, you know, all these men match with me. So, and they want to take me out. Mm -hmm. And they, (laughs) interestingly and beautifully, found their way back to each other after that one month. And they closed back up their Mm -hmm. relationship and they went back to monogamy for the next 11 months. Mm -hmm. And then they do it again. So this year, it's coming up. I'm going to be checking in with them and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, non-monogamy doesn't have to be a fixed thing. It can be creative and it can be embedded in various different ways. Now, let's talk about uh, human tendency to do monogamy versus poly, which one is quote-unquote better. Mm-hmm. Uh, people always ask me, is there evidence that we shouldn't be monogamous? Mm-hmm. I always say no. Mm-hmm. Here's why. So you can use two frameworks to understand relationship uh, structure. So monogamy versus multiple people. Uh, the first framework is historical, right? Mm-hmm. You can look way, 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 way back to history. And you can look at not just American history, because my American history is very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, way back and everywhere too. Amazonian, Egyptian, Roman, like all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you'll realize uh, humans do have the capacity to be in a polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's histor- historical uh, data as, f- you know, a framework of understanding. Can we even be poly? Because mm-hmm. we're so jealous. Yep. Uh, can we be in poly? Uh, we have the capacity to be. Mm-hmm. Now, with industrialization uh, and making money, and now money is the goal rather than community, right? right? right. Now we're in the resource framework. Mm -hmm. Like, I want my husband to just be my husband because of the resources that we pull together. Mm -hmm. If he goes out and have three other multiple women, what about our family's resources? Right. So now it becomes a resource factor because of industrialization and how money becomes an important thing. Money and resources, right? Mm -hmm. Time, attention. So now in the other framework of, well, is monogamy the answer? Uh, It depends. If you look at monogamy from evolutionary theory, right? Evolutionary theory, it's not some people's favorite, but Darwin says survival of the fittest, Mm -hmm. right? And it's... uh, we evolve different characteristics and behaviors to save ourselves, mm-hmm. to live longer, to have offsprings, right? To procreate. So if we use evolutionary theory to think about, is monogamy the, the right answer? Yeah, monogamy is the right answer. Here's why. Uh, evolutionary is all about uh, living long enough to have offsprings and to take care of them into becoming a successful uh, human being, whatever that means nowadays, mm-hmm. right? So that's evolution, evolutionary uh, theory. So ha- in order to have offspring, so have children and then raise them to become responsible, happy adults, you probably need to be a unit to have that. Right. 
a husband, a wife, or two husbands, or two wives, like whatever sexual orientation, you probably need two people. Mm-hmm. And this is where monogamy plays a role. It's like it allows that one unit to flourish. Mm-hmm. Think about lots of families where their fathers leave. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty common phenomenon if you look at it statistically, yep. right? Like people always say, well, women leave too. Yeah, true, but m- mostly men. Mm-hmm. They have sex with women, they get pregnant, they're like, oh, F this, like, you know, I'm out, yep. right? So that, that happens way more than women. Mm-hmm. Yes, it happens with women, but it happens way more with men. Right. So households that uh, raise children with one parent versus two parents, which one do you think has the more higher likelihood to succeed? The two-parent household. Exactly. Yeah. That's why monogamy makes sense still. Mm-hmm. So now uh, the last point is, well, which one's better? Right. It depends on you. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Yep. Right? Don't don't let me tell you what's right for you. 100%. Who are you? What are your... Uh, I typically ask uh, personality traits. I have a different measurements that they do. I learn about their personality traits. I learn about their attachment styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learn about the, the way they... Um, the way they see uh, time and money and resources, right? right? And sometimes through these measurements, I can say, yeah, I feel like you have a capacity to be in a successful polyamorous relationship or non-monogamy right. for sure. Uh, then maybe you'll feel more like, okay, yep. uh, I have the skills, the capacity to do it. But not it's not for everybody. Completely agree. Are you interested in it? No, you know, I, so I'm always open to having a discussion. You know, I'm not in a partnership currently, um, mm-hmm. but- but even, you know, in my last relationship, like, um, you know, we'd brought up very, very like lightly, but when, when we really thought about it, you know, and when I think about it, it's like, um, you know, traditionally I have been, you know, a jealous human being. I'm not so much anymore just because I'm, I've become more self-aware and more of a, more of a full self to where like, if someone were to leave, it's, it's on them that they have every right to make their decisions in their life. Now with, with sort of like relationships and sex, like for me, of course, in a perfect world, sure. I would love to go sleep with other, other women, you know, it sounds great, but there's something sacred to me. And this is all, all personal. This is no judgment to anyone else in a polyamorous, but there's something sacred to me about holding myself for one person you know, and, and, you know, there's just, it's just in my mind and, and I'm sure that's influenced a little bit about the religion I grew up in for sure. But even when I separate myself from that, like, you know, dogma, I still like there, there's something beautiful, like a gift you're giving and receiving that like someone is, is, is committing to you and you're committing to them. Now that being said, I'm not against polyamory or ENM at all, but I know I'm just monogamous right now. Mm-hmm. Even when you think about like, oh, well, we can introduce someone and have like a one month out of the year kind of thing or a mm-hmm. threesome or something like that. Even in those scenarios, which I've thought about too, I don't know if I'd be fully interested. If my partner was, in, was into it, I, I'd certainly have a conversation, not shut down. But I, mm-hmm. I think that there's something, um, very uh desirable and and almost a, a almost like sort of a, a, an arousal around it from being like this person wants me and i want them mm-hmm. and we're going to work as hard as we can to maintain sexual intimacy and interest so we can be be fulfilled and suffice within our own mm-hmm. unit in our own container you know mm-hmm. uh versus having to look externally for other human beings mm-hmm. right to make us feel full together now again no judgment on any i think you know i work with clients that are poly and enm relationships mm-hmm. um but but i would say i'm a monogamous person now it's interesting because i've been on both sides of the coin as far as infidelity right as far as cheating mm-hmm. and i think what i've learned from that is if you don't address uh not only the, the emotional disconnects but the sexual disconnects which usually follow suit with the emotional things um 
you know, a lot of times people stray. And then, you know, one of the main questions is like, well, do you just want to see other people? And a lot of times the answer is no for most people. It's just that like, there's not presence, there's not a desire, there's not a connection anymore, right? And people overlook that and go through their daily steps and they're just like, well, maybe we'll just try polyamory because maybe that's the option. And I think for those folks, polyamory can sometimes act as kind of a band-aid from the actual sort of separation between intimacy between couples because they're just like, well, shit, we're, we don't really want to work on the intimacy with each other. So we'll just go, you know, get on Tinder and kind of you know, sleep with other people. It's not always the case, but that it's sometimes the case, right? Where people kind of just avoid the hard work it takes. It takes a lot of work to maintain sexual intimacy in a monogamous relationship. So sometimes it's kind of like a, an easier tactic just to go sleep with other folks, you know, get your kicks that way, right? Um, 100%, 100%. Uh, one of the guests on my podcast, she's a polyamory expert. Mm. And she said, uh, poly and opening up your relationship isn't going to fix a shitty relationship. Amen. <laughs> so you don't use it as a solution. It's mm -hmm. not going to fix a shitty relationship. You have to have a good foundation to mm -hmm. begin with. And yes, if you want to explore together, like the couple that I worked with, right. Like, you know, you can totally uh, talk through it and create boundaries and then try to open it up for a little bit. We call these dynamic boundaries. Mm -hmm. So sometimes closed, sometimes open. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's poly isn't going to fix your shitty relationship or mm. that or your issues, like your trauma, your issues. You got to work on yourself. Yep. Amen. Amen to that. You know, I, I really want to have you back on because I have so many questions and, and I love that you're able to, to talk about this from a research perspective, but also like the perspective of you're working with clients on a daily, weekly basis of, of real people that, you know, are trying to maintain intimacy or perhaps opening their relationships or monogamous or not, you know, all these different things, society. And uh, one of the things I appreciate most about having you on is that we need to have these conversations publicly more and more and more to make it mm -hmm. acceptable and, and open for people to talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of couples, they even feel shame about even bringing up something like this, about like something's going on in the bedroom or for instance, mm -hmm. you know, before I let you go, we can talk a little bit about erectile dysfunction, right? A lot of times like men feel a lot of shame around that. Right. And, um, you know, I had one, one person comment on a, on one of my posts recently and she was basically like blaming her ex-partner for having ED. And she's like, well, he couldn't perform in the bedroom. So the relationship ended. And I'm like, man, like that, that would feel really hurtful. You know, if someone was like, just, just throwing, I'm like, yo, this person used to love this person, you know, and, and ED isn't only the responsibility of the individual who's experiencing it. You know, it's a, it, it's a dance, right? For sure. And there can be many causes of it, but I think ultimately in my mind, like you have to lead with curiosity and compassion and work together to get to a place of sexual health and well-being and not just put all of the onus on your partner to kind of be like, well, you figure your shit out. I'll be here waiting, you know? Curiosity and compassion. That's mm -hmm. well put. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. ED, I mean, it's a huge issue. Like right. 300 million men in, in um, what was it, the world mm -hmm. experience ED? Yep. So it's uh, some crazy statistics that that that's what drives the that sex pharmaceutical market. Right. Really, right. it's a billion dollar industry, right? No doubt. Because it's such a, a prominent issue. So uh, there's research that found that sexual meditation mm. uh, helps with 
chronic ADE mm-hmm. unless it's a medical problem, in which mm-hmm. you should talk to your doctor. Yeah, uh, it could be a medical problem like blood flow issue and right. this and that, right? But other things preventative that you can do are obviously eating healthy, exercising mm-hmm. regularly because it's at the end of the day is blood flow. Yep. So blood is not flowing to your dick. That's ED. <laughs> So <laughs> most scientific uh, way to put it <laughs> as simple as that. Right. Yeah. yeah like, oh, my God, was it like it's simple. Yeah. So, yeah. Are you exercising? Like I talk to people who are like, oh, my God, like, you know, my ED is like it's it's killing me. I'm so anxious about this. Like, I'm like, OK, like, do you tell me like how often do you exercise? Like, I don't know. Like I get it in when I can. Like how how often? Right. Once a month. I'm like, well, that's why you have ED. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So you have to take care of yourself. That's mm-hmm. number one. It's blood flow, you guys. It's just that. Mm-hmm. So uh, if if then if that's not an issue, if blood flow is not an issue and it's psychological, mm-hmm. definitely try sexual meditation. Uh, and if you think working with uh, potentially working with like a sex therapist, mm-hmm. and I say therapist, not a coach, mm-hmm. uh, on your perhaps like a childhood sexual trauma or yep. shit like that, yep. that would be valuable as well. If you have some heart trauma, mm-hmm. I, I, I suggest you work with a therapist. Oh, man, I love this conversation so much. Uh, Dr. Tara, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. You know, I want to be conscientious of your time. I would love to have you on again. I know I'm going to get a lot of questions from this episode for sure. Um, <laughs> you're, you're the second sort of uh, uh, sex professor or, or, or person in the sex education realm that I've had yes. on. Um, I had Dr. Alexandra Solomon on the show, but we really sort of focused on relational self-awareness. We didn't get into sex, even though a lot of her work's around sex. Um, mm-hmm. And I know people, you know, really enjoy listening to content like this because, it's really not talked about a lot. You know, it's more common now, but it's Mm -hmm. still a minority in the conversations having, you know, even on podcasts. And so I want to give you a quick opportunity to talk about where can people connect with you? I know you have a podcast. I know you work with clients individually. How can people get in touch with you if they want more info and if they want to work with you individually? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Really, this is such a great conversation. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. So you can find me on my website, lovebites.co, L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S dot C-O. Everything's on there. Uh, all my social media is lovebites.co. So you can find me on Instagram, TikTok. My podcast is also Love Bites. So that's my brand. Wonderful. I'm going to throw links to every everything she just said in the description, ladies and gents. So be sure to go check her out and and uh, follow her and, and you know follow along. And if you want to work with her individually, reach out that way too. If you're a couple or if you're an individual, I highly recommend it. I mean, just the the stuff you shared already. I mean, I would I would work with you if I'm in a relationship too, because I just think it seems like a, you know, you seem like a very knowledgeable and open individual. And I love how you call your philosophies new age, because I'm like, this is the stuff we need to be teaching people. You know, this is like real it's new age. It, yeah, it is new age because basically we've been repressed for so long. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate having you. And, and like I said, I'd love to have you back on eventually. Please. Yes, it would be my honor. Thank you so much for having me. I really want to ask all of you listeners out there, if you could take a couple seconds, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review that really helps get the podcast in more eyes, in more ears, um, and just really helps podcasts grow in in every aspect possible. So um, I would really appreciate it if you could pause it, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts, and turn notifications on so you get notified whenever we launch a new episode.